We bout that inner fulfillment, sipping the cab, never spilling. Pinot Merlot, and any way the grape can give us that feeling. Business and marketing, sales revealing all of that realness. Health is wealth, are you with me? We talking wellness and chilling. Spilling anything but a drop. It's important to tell, it's not just about cash, but it's about doing more for yourself. So pour a glass, don't have to share with anyone else. Leave your problems on the shelf. You tuning in to wine and wealth. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wine and Wealth with Tony Leone. Today's guest is none other than my own father, Ray Leone Sr. Uh, of course, I had to get him on here. He is the epitome of what I would call wealth. He is a seven-figure kind of guy, likes to show it off a little bit with the boats and the Cadillac, but he also has another side of his wealth, which is truly special, uh, how much he gives back to the community, how much he uh, is... a perfect family man, uh, been married to my mom for 50 years now. So when you talk about just life and health and wealth and everything that it, it encompasses, he is an incredible guest. He is the author of the success secrets of the sales funnel. He was the radio show host of winning the game of life. He has done countless speeches and trainings all over the world in every continent of the world and he's experienced it all and, and quite frankly just an hour was not enough to siphon out what we could so hopefully we'll get him back but this was a great conversation between a father and son and two sales pros so enjoy it what's up pop dear season <laughs> yeah thanks for fitting us in your schedule yeah and and you don't have much time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> tell the people what we're, what you're what you're about to go do. You're you're head to toe, full camo, full camo, getting ready to go chase Bambi. But Bambi's been smarter than me of late. So all of you folks worried about Bambi, don't worry about them. Worry about me more because I'm more likely to get hurt than they are. <laughs> now since I already got one, you said to hell with me. I don't need to go anymore. So you wanted to bring that up that you've got yes. one and I have not. Yes. You needed to make the that first your year opening that's line. ever happened. Well, I remember when I asked you, this is an old story you used to tell. Someone asked you what's the difference between joy and happiness. Yes. You care to explain that one? I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was pleasure and joy. Okay. I was doing a speech to a bunch of 16 and 17-year-old high school kids that had been identified as potential leaders. It was the Hobie Youth Foundation thing. And... Uh, they had a microphone in the middle of the hall, and then the kids would come up and just ask the audience questions. And we, there was like four or five of us, all media. It's when I had my radio show. This one young guy, about 16, 17, says to me, what is the difference between pleasure and joy? And I said, whoa, that's awful deep, son. I said, no one's ever asked me that question. I said, pleasure is catching a marlin. Joy is watching your child catch the marlin. That's the difference. And that actually, I don't know where that came from, but it's, that's a line that I've used a thousand times because people love that line. And yeah. it's in it, but it makes so much, every parent gets it. Yeah. Well, I, as I'm catching a three-inch brim off your dock, <laughs> I, I get it from my little guy. So uh, tell people about your journey so far. Uh, Listen, for the record, you're 79. Yeah. Got all your hair. You're still closing deals. Yeah. Right? I, you were on a sales call just earlier this week. 
close a six-figure deal this week. What keeps you going there? Uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Well, There's a third layer to me now. My my three children. Yeah. <laughs> and grandchildren. Uh, no, what keeps me going is I love it. I mean, I, I like being in the game. Yeah. And I'm healthy enough. I'm sharp enough. I'm in the game. And what do you think you attribute that to? Uh once I finally started doing this, I always had a fear as a very young person that I'd end up eating cat food at this stage in my life and, you know, living in a tent somewhere. So I, it's been hard for me to get away from that. I, I have some expensive hobbies, but generally speaking, I think I live below my means. What do you mean by that? I, I think people with the amount of money that I've been able to accumulate are doing more than I'm doing. <laughs> I think they're going to more countries than I'm going to. Right. And they're more willing to put $100,000 down on a poker tournament when I'm only willing to put down 10. So uh, it's just because of that, that constant concern. I mean, we had zero money growing up. For people who don't know, two bedrooms, one bath, Five people. I slept up in the attic, no air conditioning, no heat, on top of plywood floor. That was it. That was my that that was my place from twelve years old to eighteen or nineteen. Mm. Do you think that impact right? So early on in your childhood, you saw what poor looks like, and even we were, I was doing the ancestry.com stuff, and when they did the census, and you go, oh yeah, that was. Uncle Carmine, who, who rented a place in the attic, because there were a lot of people living in one place that so you saw it early on. Uh, is that where the drive comes? Is it something that happened early in the development of Ray Leone? Well, I've got an outline of another book called Defining Moments. Mm. When you think about all the defining moments in your life, and one that stands out, and for reasons that I cannot tell you why it was this particular day, but in eighth grade, there was a kid that was 16 years old in eighth grade. And he was like six foot one. <laughs> and he had a job. And he had a car. He was my idol. I mean, when you're in eighth grade, you know, you don't have 50 cents to, you know, to go to the store, but he's got a couple of bucks. And so he was my idol. And then when I got to high school, I remember everybody hung out at the local uh, gas station. That was like the hangout. Mm -hmm. And he would be, if you look at like any of those old movies of the 50s where everybody were the rebels, the kids would have the lucky strikes rolled up in the t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. The dungarees, you know, rolled up, you know, above their feet. And that was him. And he was leaning against the wall of the gas station. And now I'm 16 at this point. And I had been watching him lean against that wall for the last three years. And it finally dawned on me that he'd be leaning against that wall 20 years from now. Uh. And it was that very moment, that very moment that I said, I'm not gonna end up against that wall. Wow. Because in my freshman year of high school, I flunked. I missed 108 days of school. Holy shit, Dad. Out of 180. <laughs> It's because of my stupid teachers. I'd go play, I'd go hunt or go fishing, so I'd play hooky, and my punishment was they would suspend me for three days. 
freaking brilliant is that? One hunting season, you've accumulated an entire year. I accumulated a lot of time, let me tell you. And I was a badass. I mean, I like to get in fights. I mean, uh, I belong to a group that if you didn't have a fight a week, you were kicked out of the club. And if you lost, you were kicked out. So that was kind of... Is that in the Defining Moments book? Well, they were my early years. So that was up to 16. Yeah. So uh, that's when the thing... I remember when I made the honor roll. A couple of my buddies at school said, was that you? Is that your name on the honor? What are you doing on the honor roll? I mean, they couldn't believe that the kid that they knew that was the gangster was now on the honor roll because I started taking it seriously. Mm. Then luckily, I just had an affinity for mathematics. I'd be in algebra class. I'd be in the back of the algebra class playing poker because I didn't need to study. I never took a book home. It just algebra one, algebra two, trigonometry beginning calculus none of that was was difficult for me it was all very easy um i want to stop there for a minute because knowing you for my whole life you've always been very fast with math and it's that that did not get passed on to me right you know you remember those days of <laughs> tutors and i barely got through uh finite math that seems to have worked its way into your sales life. As you look at your sales process, and we were talking about just the deal that you just closed, I called it doing math with your client because they're not doing it themselves. So this, that's a good example. Let's talk about that deal. Yeah. I was talking to a client. They said their closing average was really terrible, between 10 and 15%. Get some context on the client. Just for numbers sake what people the contract would be one to five million dollars a mm -hmm. typical contract something like that some more some little but one to five million dollars might be a typical contract and they were doing about 40 contracts a year and pre presenting about 400 and almost everyone was through the rfp process request for proposal mm -hmm. so they were so i said well how much does it cost to actually complete a, a request for a proposal. Well, there's the, uh, the, the salesperson's time, the operator's time, the, uh, the money guy's time calculating how much the deal's gonna cost. It's proposal development's time. It's the actual presentation of the solution. And they gave me what I considered a pretty low number of about $5,000 per, per pursuit. For each one of those 400, five grand. So yes, so now we're talking $2 million. And then, okay, so you're selling 40. That means every contract is costing you $50,000 to, to get it. Whoa, now all of a sudden the numbers are getting in. So if you increase the closing average from 10 to 20%, which is still not very good. Right. You've just cut your cost down by a million dollars. And that's the, <laughs> so it's interesting. You under, you lowball the result, right? Because you can increase the closing average by 10% in a heart in a heartbeat. And you're setting them up to be really ecstatic with the result eventually, which is, but it's math, math in front. Did they have those numbers? That's called dollarizing the value of your solution. Right, but you did it differently. You dollarized what they're, what's walking out the door just by not changing. 
No, but yes, that's true. But I'm also, I dollarize the solution. So if I double the closing average, you're saving a million dollars. That's dollarization. Right. That's impressive. But so math didn't come easy to me. I had trouble. It took me a long time to figure that out. And what, what I've learned is to pause or pre-prepare that math or just get better at doing it, you know, writing on notes. I'll give you another one because we're, we're, we're doing this in Charlotte. Yeah. I was in Charlotte working with a client that does debt collection. So here's the way. It's very interesting. So let's say it's SCE&G or Duke Power. Mm-hmm. And they got all these people that owe a ton of money. Well, we had them. Uh, my client was charging, I forget, like 40% commission. They were keeping 40% of the money they collected. The competition was only taking 33 and a third percent. So we were much higher. Right. But there's a term in the business called the churn rate. And the churn rate means how many customers do you piss off when you're <laughs> collecting their money then lose them as a customer? Right. So in this particular account, I said, what is the lifetime value of a customer? And by the way, that is a great question to always ask your customer. What do you determine as a lifetime value of a customer? For instance, car dealerships are thinking you, your kids, your grandchildren, your parents, you know, they're thinking like a million dollars. Well, anyway, they said $20,000 is a lifetime value of a customer. I said, okay, so every 1% reduction in churn is like a million customers. Big number. Big number. So that means you save $20 million for every 1% more you retain. Well, the reason we charge 40% is we pay our people more money so they're more skilled and they're less likely to get the client so angry at them that they're going to dilute, you're going to lose them as a customer. So your churn rate is going to drop dramatically and that, and that $200,000 delta in the actual money on the commission is nothing. And you will find that CEOs and owners of company do not care what the price of anything is. Mm. They really don't. They want to know ROI. That's all they want to know. The purchasing manager wants to know price because the purchasing manager is bonused on how much right. cheaper they can get the product for. Well, there's a, a million salespeople out there that they're going to say, well, the purchasing and procurement are the ones that start and hold the keys to the process. That's true. That, that, that's if you are a reactive seller. What do you mean? That's why well, you wait for them to call you. If you wait for them to call you, they've already written the RFP. They've already determined, six, by the way, the studies show that when the RFP is released, they've made 60% of decisions already been made. Mm. That would explain pitching 400 deals and only closing 40. Listen, I was in South Africa. I'll never forget this one. And this young guy, poor guy, had been with the company nine months. I, we, we explained my process, the sales funnel process. And it takes a lot longer to prepare that process than it does just to respond to an RFP. And the young man said to me, I don't have time to do what you're wanting us to do because we rehearse. We prepare, 
we murder board, we really develop a, a cohesive strategy for every deal. He, I says, why not? He says, all I keep doing is responding to RFPs. I says, well, how many have you closed? Uh-oh. <laughs> he said, none. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help it. I, I started laughing, because this was at a training session. Oh, man. He was at least honest. He was, I mean, he was a naive. Right. But it was a, the leadership was the one that let him keep doing that. I said, that's ridiculous. You know, if you keep doing something and don't get it as a result, you know what that's called? That's called a clue. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, you know, you put your finger in a mousetrap and it snaps, and then you do it, and every time you put your finger, it snaps, that's called a clue. <laughs> yeah, and you're a dumbass. <laughs> People that I've noticed, in they don't pay attention to their time and what that does to your, your mindset. If I was just to observe you, you work hard in condensed amounts of times, and then you go hunt, and then do that an intense amount of time. And then you go play poker for an intense amount of time. That's one of Ray's rules, or which is a new book, The Sales Minutes for Sales Masters. Yeah. One of those sales minutes specifically addresses what you just said. And it's called, wherever you are, be there. So when I'm hunting, guess what? I love you, my son, but I'm not thinking of you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love my wife. I'm not thinking of my wife. I love my work. I'm not thinking of work. I'm thinking, of, is Bambi going to come around that tree? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking about. When I'm playing poker, I'm trying to win a World Series of Poker bracelet. And you know what? I'm not thinking of any of your dumbasses either. <laughs> Thanks. I'm only focusing on where I am. But the problem is, most people, when they're at their work, they're thinking of that deer. They're thinking of that poker game. Like in some places, all the texting we see, yeah. uh, they're thinking of their girlfriend. Uh -oh. And they're texting them over and over and over and over again. A certain politician today, is thinking of his girlfriend, we too. We just saw it today. <laughs> Have you seen that no. today? Uh, you know, forget your value system for a moment or your morals. And you think the guy who's married with two kids is cheating on his wife with a woman who's also married. Forget that. Who's this, by the way? We don't care. I, you can it's say, Cunningham. It's Cal Cunningham, right? Cal Cunningham, about, yeah. the guy that's running for the Senate. Yeah, I saw this. But here's the question. Where is his logic and thought process that he would text that? Right. I mean, it's bad enough you're doing it, but, but where's your mindset? And to me, that's, I mean, hey, there are a lot of past presidents that have had relations, like Mr. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe. Right. And all. Hey, they've had them. But when you put it down on where somebody can find it, right. that goes a long way to your judgment. It freaks me out. It's, it's, how can someone have such low EQ when you know every move is being scrutinized? Yes, EQ being emotional intelligence. Yes. And so what are you going to do when special interests and... I mean, it blew scared. me away. And that, I mean, we're talking about, these are not old, old, old texts. These are recent. Yeah, he did it. He's, it, in, the, he's in the middle of a Senate race, and he's leading. He did it like in August. And he's leading the Senate race. I mean, it's unbelievable. Where is the, the judgment? Well, that's the freaky part. Yes, that, that is there the is freaky. none. There, that's the freaky You're part. You're right. Values aside, that doesn't... So, okay... I don't know how old Cal Cunningham is, but we have a severe emotional intelligence problem. 
And it was probably, I saw when you were speaking to groups 10 years ago, you were sounding the alarm that EQ is going to be the number one commodity when it comes to human capital and people. And now we're seeing this wave. Are you, first of all, you're doing the whole I told you so. How nervous are you right now as you're seeing this bad. play out? No, it's really bad. I mean, can you imagine 20 or 30 years ago somebody needing a teddy bear in college? <laughs> or a cry room? Or a cry room? <laughs> Come on. I mean, and they're going to be our leaders? Oh, my God, it's scary. Yeah, it's a far cry from the leaders that were 16 and 17 asking you insightful questions. Yes. Boy, what, what a happened difference. to those programs? Yes, what a difference. What a difference. All right, so let's just say you've got a nice 16 or 17-year-old out there listening. They're naturally stacked up against EQ because they just don't have the mileage on life. But what are some things you can do to not end up being... Well, let's, let's explain IQ, EQ. IQ you're born with, you can't increase it. That's what you've got. Mm -hmm. Blame your parents. EQ is learned. Therefore, you can improve your score. But the number one part of EQ, the, the, the baseline for EQ is self-awareness. If, you if you're not aware that you're an idiot, you're never going to be able to help yourself not be an idiot. Right. So we all know people who think that they're, that they're really wonderful and they think that everybody thinks they're wonderful, but everybody knows that they're a jerk. They're the only ones that don't know they're a jerk. And we've all know somebody like that. Mm -hmm. That's somebody with low EQ and very low self-awareness. So only 20, this, is, this was an astounding number to me. Only 20% of high IQ people outperform average IQ people. Wow. However, 90% of high EQ people are successful. Therefore, EQ is a better predictor of success than IQ. And thank heaven for you and I. <laughs> right. Otherwise, we'd be in deep trouble. Mom made me take the SAT five times. I got a 1030, a 1040, a 1040, a 1030, and a 1050. I said, Mom, that's it. I'm not getting any smarter. <laughs> And then I went to military college. <laughs> and and uh, and your cousin uh, Matea, which you get like a sixteen hundred. Yeah, she's a she's a badass and, <laughs> and doesn't have to. Struggle. She's looking at MIT at the schools right. like that. It's crazy. So when you look at EQ and obviously self awareness is the big one. Still, how do you bump somebody who is low self awareness? Like how? All right, let's say I'm a leader and I've had no choice but to hire people that are. Uh, late Gen Z or late millennial, early Gen Zs that are coming in the workforce, they naturally have low EQ. Those are tough conversations to have, especially with everyone's kind of like a Molotov cocktail these days. We give them an EQ assessment so they can look at it. So it's on paper and it's, it's on not paper. And it lists 10 things that they can do to prove each one of those EQ. There's five categories and they give you something the 10 things you can do in each category to improve your EQ. Yeah. Do you ever think the time will come where that's, they, we can do an EQ assessment pre-hire? Uh, you do you, you might be able coming? to do it, but it's not EEOC compliant. Right. Do you think that would ever happen? The problem is you could probably do it standalone, but when you mix it with other, like, disc personality profiles or values in other... The ability, it's taking a long time 
to merge all those things into one cohesive report. Right. So typically we can do acumen, skills. Right. We can do values or motivators. And we can do personality styles or DISC or whatever you might call Myers Briggs or whatever people call that. Right. And we can merge those three because we've had 50 years to do that. Yeah. EQ is relatively new and it's, and it's a little more difficult. So EQ is not, at this moment, EEOC compliant. Right. So we typically hire somebody, then give them the EQ assessment. And then if it comes back bad, bad. We, well, it's your responsibility, right? You hired them. Obviously, you lack some EQ because... But, we, but listen, I believe in telling the truth all the time. We sit them down and say, look, this is your EQ. This is what concerns me. Here's, you, need to, you need to improve this section. Otherwise, you're not going to be as successful as you want to be. Mm. So take a look at this. And here's, here's some things I suggest you do. As simple... You know, we have a thing called the STAR method, S-T-A-R-R. If people practice the STAR method, every time they got upset, their EQ would improve. Everyone, everyone listening to this podcast, if you want to improve your emotional intelligence, use the STAR method. Stop, that's the S, the T, think, you're already hurting people's brains. Yes. Because no one's doing any of those. The third one, assess. After you stop and think about it, assess what the appropriate response should be. Then respond. Then the key, the last R, review. So use the STAR method every time, especially today, when you're talking about, let's say, Biden or Trump, and you all want to yell at each other, use the STAR method. Stop, think, assess, respond, review. And people will get along better, but more importantly for you personally, your EQ will improve. Mm. Because it's, the goal is to stop allowing your emotion to determine your reality. Which, you turn on the news, it's every second it seems like that's happening. Yes. And that's what probably terrifies you, as you have seen all versions of the world in the U.S., at 79. I mean, I've been to almost... I can see it in your face. Like, you're really nervous. I am nervous. Yeah. I, I'm thinking we're working on getting our Italian citizenship in yeah. case the U.S. Listen, every great civilization has been destroyed from within. And I think we're there. Did you... There's um, some studies that show all the, the big civilizations that started to tumble... They all began to dabble in gender dysphoria, and that was kind of the last stage before civilization. Like, if you really look at it, and that's terrifying. We're not. We don't need to go there because this is a business podcast. But the indicators are there if that happens to be true. Well, I think I'm not sure. I think it was Thomas Jefferson, but somebody a long time ago said that when the voter has figured out that they can vote freebies for themselves, then democracy and the republic are doomed. He probably didn't say freebies, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, if I'm sending you a check. Yeah. Why work? Well, no. 
who you're going to vote for. Of course, yeah. The yeah. one sending you the check or the one that says, I got to raise your taxes so I can send somebody else a check. Classic, uh, don't bite the hand that feeds. All right. Well, wait, you look, I, as we're talking, this is October of 2020. And I watched a week or two ago Cuomo in New York begging people to come back to New York. You moved out. We need you back. No, he didn't need you. He needed your taxes. Right. So, but people are moving out. Biz- more importantly, businesses and are businesses are moving out. Right. All right. So you own you've owned your your business and multiple LLCs and small corporations. You've played the game as a businessman now and you're watching we got alex the producer he's working on starting his business i'm starting my businesses what's the play here as uh we're staring down the barrel of people demanding more from corporations where you and i are involved in a startup that's poised to be really big what's the uh what's the play here well i want to go back to 9 11 on 9-11, I was given a speech in Disney World when the first plane hit. And we thought the first one was an accident. And then when the second one hit, we knew. Mm-hmm. And my client, of course, told everybody to you know take a break because that was in the morning and said, we're going to have to reconvene after lunch. And my client says to me, you have to bring these people back together because when they leave, they have to go back to work. And he said, you need to come up with something. <laughs> no pressure. Now, let me, let me give you a vision of the room. There was a one group of people that were crying. Another group were praying. Another group was angry. And you had all the, another group just silent. So you had that entire mix of emotions that were in that room. So after lunch, and by the way, the reason I'm thinking of that now is it's similar to COVID where I'm going to tell you. What I told them is if you don't go back to work and operate normally and do what you need to do, then the terrorists will have won. Mm. Because that's what they want you to do. They want you to shut down. They want to disrupt your world. And if you allow that to happen, they've won. That's kind of where I am today. China is our enemy. I don't think the average person really understands. Their goal is to replace the dollar as the international currency. And I don't think the average person understands the repercussions of that. Printing money no longer is an option. Which is what we're what we're doing. Even That's, now during yes, COVID. Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. So and so many people are in the basement, yeah. not to mention any names, <laughs> and, ref- and they're not doing anything. And, so, and corporations are the same way. They're waiting for this to end. Well, that's a disaster. General Custer circled the wagons. Yeah. Remember what happened to Custer, mm-hmm. don't you? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in Custer's army. No last stands here. Yeah. yeah. I meant that that song way back. General Custer, I don't want to go. <laughs> see, Alex, that's an ancient song. We'll put it in the show notes probably. We'll find it because I have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, it is hilarious. I don't want to go. <laughs> we'll find that. We'll put it in the playlist. Alex, how many um, 
sites did you find from China selling your band t-shirts? Over 30. Over 30 sites selling his band's t-shirts. How many fans do you have on like Facebook? And oh, like less than two or three thousand. Less than two or three thousand. He's got bootleg shirts of his bands. And he says, do you know how to stop this? I go, if, if you figure it out, let the world know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the amount of proprietary information is disturbing. Well, your your oh yeah album you debuted at number twenty or twenty two in the Billboard two hundred when you had your yeah, band. We found a bootleg CD in a magazine somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was crazy. People were downloading like crazy, but you weren't getting any money for it. Still not. Thanks for reminding me. Um, all right, so so wait a minute. So now, so many companies and people are waiting. They're waiting for the government to send them a check, and I can appreciate you wanting that. But why wait? Come up with something. I forget who wrote the book. I wish I could remember. I maybe now we can go Google it. We can Google anything. The book was, I don't know whether it was titled this, but it was Do It. And what is it? Whatever it takes, mm. that's what it is. So we know somebody that called me up because if those of you don't know as the world's number one swimming pool salesman which started this whole thing mm -hmm. back in 1979 but this person knew that and he called me up and he says ray uh i'm a speaker and i've lost all my gigs like 60 to 100 grand worth of gigs and i got a family and i got to feed them i'm thinking of going around going out and selling swimming pools you have any advice well, there's a guy who understands it. You don't just sit around and you figure out, okay, what do I have to do to mm -hmm. feed my family? He called, he, I remember that, he made that call in March. Yes. He wasn't sitting yes, around. Yes, that's a good point. He wasn't waiting till April or May. The moment he saw, uh-oh, things are not going to be working the way we expect. Things are changing. Go do something. Yeah. I, um, whenever the shit has kind of hit the fan, whether it was 08 or now, Part of me is always, I'm nervous, right? I lost a lot of speaking gigs this summer, but I knew I had a skill set that was always in demand. And I, I always tell people that's the gift, that's the best gift you gave me because you gave me a sales strategy that will always be in demand because I can go out there and find someone that wants me. There's a lot of people that don't sell. Like Alex wouldn't call himself a salesperson, but he needs to figure this out. Where do you start, right? I want to learn human behavior, persuasion, selling, when I actually made a post on LinkedIn a couple of years ago, what's the most important invention ever in humanity? That was the question I posted. I wanted to see what people said. And they put all, gave all kinds of things, the wheel, yeah. fire, the car, the nuclear bomb. Because none of that stuff is. And my response was reading. Interesting. The ability to read. Once you have the ability to read, then you can have access to all knowledge that was ever created. It was only 400 years ago that you personally could have read every book that was ever printed. That's crazy. Now you can't read any, every book that's printed in a day, in a single day. So what, you know what I did. I read a book a week, every week for over 30 years, maybe as many as 40, mm -hmm. before I started on sales human behavior or uh success now most of my books are on poker 
Yeah. <laughs> my, and honey. My, my goal has changed. Yeah. <laughs> I want to win that World Series of Bracelet. But listen, let's take poker as a good example. My first World Series of Poker tournament was in 2004. And I played. I thought I played pretty well, and I didn't cash. I had some bad luck. But I look back. If I was playing in 2004 with the skills I have now, I might have won. I'm that much better. The problem is, so is everybody else. Right, yeah, everybody else raised their game. <laughs> yes, and how they get better. They read all the books of all those experts. They watched all the videos. They, they signed up for the training programs, and they're everywhere. And I still look at them almost on a daily basis. Last night at 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm watching the $100,000 poker buy-in and seeing what hands they were playing and how they were playing. And how did this one guy come up with the answer in his mind to call a particular bet, which was the right call? And I said, I'm not sure that I would have made that call. And by the way, first place was like $5 million in that tournament or yeah. something like that. Get back in one of those. Yeah. So nice hit. And, uh, and, and another thing, people get seduced by results. Hmm. What do you mean? You can win a poker tournament and make a lot of mistakes. You can lose a tournament and do everything right. You can win a sale and make a lot of mistakes. You can lose a sale and do everything right. Don't let the results seduce you. Did you do what was right based upon the knowledge you had at the time you made that decision? When I'm doing a program, you know, I work a lot on sales strategy, not just training, but we work on sales strategy right. on specific deal. Let's give people context because your business model is once you go in, that sales process that you coach is adopted and they stay with you for a long time. You don't train their competitors and we strategize to increase their market share. So a thing we call the fishbone. Yeah. And we fishbone a deal. So... Explain the fishbone so people understand what you're talking picture about. Picture a fishbone, just a line with cause and effect diagrams are all, all some people call them in, in uh, quality control and things like that. But it's just what is every event that has occurred during the life of this one you're, you're looking at, this mm -hmm. deal you're looking at. And I'll stop them, let's say, at step four because I don't want to know what happened next because I don't know what happened next yet. So I'm going to see, see, I ask him, did you do this in step four? I want to know, did you, did you do this? Did you ask a closing question that elicited the potential objection? That's, I need to know the answer to that before I tell you what, I'd have, what I would have done at that step. I can't wait until step seven and then tell you what I would have done at step four because now I have more knowledge than I would have had at the step that I was in. Mm. So whenever you're analyzing a deal, you can't, you know, I love people that, that look back at all these doggone, you know, hindsight is wonderful. We could have shut down the country two weeks earlier. We could have shut it down two weeks later. We could have opened up this economy a week earlier. Yeah, after the fact, it's really easy. Right. But what information did I have at the very moment that I made my decision? That's how you base whether it was the correct decision at the time or not. So it's important to, to do that timeline and now, do you need an outside party asking you those questions, or is it possible to do it yourself? I mean, can you self-analyze, or do you need a... Well, I forget who said this, but uh, 
self-analysis, well not self-analysis, but uh, critiquing your own work is almost impossible. So that's a phone call that I never answer. Yeah, maybe. That's you one know of those. funny? That phone is attached to the. Uh, but you know why I have that phone? For the elevator. Yeah. The only reason I have that phone, you got you have to have a landline for your elevator. And of course, everybody has an elevator in their home, right? Of course. That's hilarious how you buy houses, you go, can I put an elevator That's in That's it. <laughs> and can the cat- and that el- where, where does that elevator take me? Down to the Cadillac. Down to the what Cadillac? The 59 with the LS3 supercharged. <laughs> Only does about 700 horsepower at the wheels. And I heard you left it to me in your will that you did yesterday. I don't think I did. Alex, we got to find that um, story. Did you find a story? Trying to find a story real quick of the guy that got buried in like his Cadillac or something. Just say guy gets buried in his car and like his whole family was really angry about it. Um, By the way, where did you shoot your deer? On your property? (laughs) No, I've reaped the benefits of your... And in what stand? The one you built for me? (laughs) No, I'm very happy that <laughs> you're my dad. <laughs> I've reaped some benefits. But all serious, I, I've also admittedly slow learned my way into this business. But once it, the hooks were set in, I, I tell people that I'm training, the way you think about selling and the way that I think about selling now is like an operating system. You don't have a choice. But trying to scratch the record of salespeople's brain, the record they've been playing for so long that – you, you fact find here, you try and find some pain points, you try and be likable, then you try and present a solution, then you close. It's so ingrained in people and that the way we don't think about selling that way is hard for people to change how they think about. When you started selling, so I know that you did kind of the, you sold land, kind of the Glen Gary, Glen Ross thing, right? And you mentioned the swimming pools. How did you figure that out? Because everyone was selling the same way and you change the game. Luck plays a role in life. I was program manager for RCA for the IT installation at the Virginia Commonwealth University Medical College of Virginia in Richmond, Virginia. That sounds like such a math gig. I can't even it process it. It was a it. big time job. That was on Monday. On Friday. RCA announced they were out of the computer business and 13,000 of us hit the street virtually overnight. Mm. And that was one of those oh crap all the moments, you know. And in fact, I met my wife-to-be, your mother. Mm -hmm. I picked her up at the airport and a buddy of mine walks by and he's crying. I says, what are you crying? He says, haven't you heard? I said, we're out of business. What do you mean we're out of business? So I decided to go into sales for job security. And everybody laughs. Because I said, if you know how to sell, you can take that skill anywhere. So I was hunting and pecking. I actually went to try to get a job at one place. And I didn't understand what, what he meant when he said he didn't hire me. He said I had too balanced of a life. Huh? Basically, I love my children too much. Oh, God. He didn't say it like that. But I wanted to be, because... I wanted to be spend weekends with the kids, and then he said, I, I need somebody that's more Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. What year is this? This would have been 1971 or two. Now, since that predates me yes. by a lot, is, was that the business culture back then? Was the 
a businessman for some companies. Grinded, yeah, the, these were front lines, you know, front salespeople. Yeah, take no prisoners kind of sell. Okay. So then I end up going to Horizon Land Corporation. They were on the New York Stock Exchange. They owned tons of property, tens of thousands of acres in Albuquerque, in Arizona, and in El Paso. Lots of property. Luckily, my sales manager had his law degree from Harvard, but he had a mother complex. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't pass the bar. He took the bar like three times and he couldn't pass because he would freak out. You know, people, when they take tests. Yeah. But this guy was brilliant. What do you mean? Like he, he heard his mother over his shoulder saying, you're no good. Yeah, well, something you're, like I'm going to let her down. I'm worried about letting her down. He ended up letting her down. I mean, I don't know. So, but it was interesting. He's a brilliant guy. And he's the guy that gave me the idea of the sales funnel. He took us two hands. And he says, you're here. One hand to the left wide. The other hand far to the right, and here's you, and here's the client far apart when you first meet. It's your job as a sales guy to bring you both closer and closer together. And he brought his hands down in the shape of a V. And he says, and your job is to come at the end of that with a contract in your hand and a client with a smile on his face. Mm. And then he takes me on a sales call. And I watched him, it was, this was terrible, but it was educational. He made a young couple cry. I mean cry. The, I'll never forget this. The wife was sitting in a rocking chair with the baby. And he says, you mean, you mean to tell me you don't have $20 a month to put in an education account for that baby? I mean, it was brutal. That's a, that's a hard closing oh, question. Oh, it was brutal. And she started to cry. And <laughs> I know you want me to cry too. But let me tell you what I, I, I looked at. I said, that's the most powerful thing I've ever seen. If you can take a stranger and make them do that, holy mackerel. So that was negative. But to impact at the emotional level somebody is really something. So that's when I factored it in. And then I analyzed the sales process the way I would write a computer program. I flowcharted it. And the original flowchart had four boxes. Warm up, qualify, present, close. There are now 15. Right. There were 12 for most of the years, but there are now 15. And because the more you can dissect each one, the better you can get at each one. For instance, the warm up, that was this one big box. But now, what all the Harvard studies and whatnot are showing is that People want to know two things the first time they talk to you. Number one, can I trust this person? Number two, can I respect this person? And overlay that people are making a decision about you in 150 milliseconds, which is before you've opened your mouth. Holy crap, Ola. Man, that's where EQ comes in, kiddo. Mm. That's where EQ comes in. And so... I became very successful. I was one of only 13 people out of 10,000 in the land business that achieved a particular goal for the, what they called the executive club. And what it was, was selling a big chunk of business, but more importantly, the thing that held everybody back, and why I was only the 13th to get it, was you had to c collect a commission check 12 weeks in a row. 
Oh, so there's a consistency factor too. Boy, that was the one that kept everybody down. I mean, you could sell a hundred thousand dollar piece of land, but could you sell something every week for twelve weeks in a row? And that's what stopped most people. And that's how I won it. Wow. And then they 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 shut down their off-site operation and only sold on-site. So now I'm on the street again. And again, luck plays a role in life. I go get a haircut. Fairfax, Virginia. Those of you know Fairfax Circle. That became my world, Fairfax Circle. I lived in Vienna, Virginia at the time in about a $75 a month apartment. It was pretty unbelievable. And luckily I was married to your mother by this time. By the way, she really is the secret to my success. I mean, I was pathetic until she met me. <laughs> I mean, you need somebody right. to backfill all your weaknesses. Yeah. And between the two of us, we are the perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm the greatest salesperson on the planet, and she doesn't let a nickel disappear. Uh. She's, got, she's got it all. So, I mean, it is the perfect situation. So, but anyway, in Fairfax Circle, I'm getting a haircut. The guy getting the haircut next to me. Now, what are the odds that this particular guy sitting next to me ended up being responsible for me becoming a millionaire? So what if I got in a different barber chair? Uh, or what if I went to a different barber shop? Or what if I didn't need a haircut that day? Think of all the possibilities. Well, we started chatting. And he says, I heard of you. Huh? Said, That's what I said. How could you have heard of me? He says, by the way, I was the military sales manager for Horizon Land Corporation. My, my beat was the Pentagon. I sold the military offices. So I had a retired colonel working for me. The retired colonel ended up going to work for this guy. Mm. And the retired colonel said, if you think I'm any good, you need to talk to Ray Leon. And here we are sitting next to one another, and that's when he tells me he heard of me. So well, I'm going to get my wife certified in her scuba and I'm heading down the Crystal River. This was in February. She said, I'll give you a call when I get back. I said, but by the way, you're talking about selling swimming pools in Washington, D.C.? What do you do in the wintertime? And this is what got me. Uh, he says, well, most of us go to Hawaii for six weeks. <laughs> I said, what? What? <laughs> That got my attention. Yeah, yeah. Hawaii, six weeks? He says, yeah. I said, so I'll talk to you when I get back. By the way, this was with Anthony Pools. Anthony was on the New York State Stock Exchange. They owned Shakespeare Fishing Tackle. They owned Explorer Motorhomes. They even owned a couple of fast food places. They were big time. Mm. So I come back to work, and it only took me one week to convert the process that I developed in the land business to the swimming pool business. And by, I, I started with them in the first or second week of March. By May, they made me manager of the state of Maryland within so, 90 days. Wow. I mean, that, was, that would, and I, by the way, I had yet to see a pool built. <laughs> and now I'm the manager of a state. I said, are you kidding me? The first pool I sold, by the way, again, Here's what people did. There were four pool companies on Fairfax Circle. Four. The four major competitors. Mm -hmm. The three nationals and one local. And you knew anybody that was going to buy a pool would stop by all four. 
So you expected that. So what I did when I first took the job was go to those other three companies and collected all their material. They handed me copies of their contracts. They handed me their, their warranties. They're all freaking idiots yeah. to give me all that information. And I went back and studied it. So I go sell this swimming pool to a guy. And I said, why did you buy from me? Which is something you should always ask the person that bought from you. You should also ask them why they don't buy, but also why they buy. And he said, you were the most knowledgeable pool salesman I've spoken to. I'd only been with the company a week, and all I had done was read everybody's brochures. Wow. So knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. You know, you did that, what year was that? That was 1976. So 76. Then I start selling swimming pools in like 2006. And I'd done the same thing. I had someone come by. I had all my competitors try and sell me a pool in my backyard because they didn't know me yet. And they did, and I wouldn't, I didn't believe it. I actually called bullshit on your story that people gave you contracts. Two out of three of them left me a contract for me to sign. I said, you got to be kidding me. This actually works still 40 years later. There you go. Um, Well, I have a feeling this won't be our only time together. Maybe. Get out of here. Um, How much you paying me for this? <laughs> I told you I'd give you the going rate for the other podcast that you did. Now, I know your ego is too big to not to say no. I, we're, you're going to get the following. You're going to get me my following. I feel it. You're so well loved in the marketplace. As soon as we put this out, Alex, it's, it's wildfire. Sponsors will be calling. It'll be great. Um, that, that whole sales process transferred over to what is a very very successful b2b and, and i'd say we're we're probably exclusively b2b unless someone specifically yeah, it's comes interesting. Calling. so you're right i did pools and then from the pools i did uh, all the spa manufacturers designed the, the, the sales training programs for most of the spa manufacturers and then i did uh, building materials guys mm-hmm. uh, and then bicycle people and then I went to credit unions and banks because the banks and the credit unions were loaning money for the pools. So I got into the solar heating. I did a lot. But a lot of that was all mostly B2C. Yeah. And then uh, I found that it translated to B2B with only a few additions. I mean, it's still ha- you just have to accomplish the same thing with more people. Yeah. But it's still the same thing. And so anyone out there that's, you know, People are looking for new jobs. They might be looking for a new opportunity. Uh, if anyone's on the fence, they might have sold B to C. Let's say they even sold watches. And there's a big, scary business world that you want to get into. How do you how do you give someone the confidence that you know your skills can translate regardless? I almost don't want your skills to translate. I would rather take somebody with high EQ with reasonable intelligence and no sales training whatsoever. Why? Because you don't have to erase all the crap that they've been doing wrong for their whole life. (laughs) I mean, that is a major challenge. Mm -hmm. All of us have habits and it's really difficult to break a habit. So our sales process is so different and goes against the way most people think that that initial introductory phase is difficult for some of them 
to try and grasp. And if so, they never knew anything beforehand. It's easier to implant the the killer process that we that we use. Yeah, I mean, you see people smoke comes out of their ears when you tell them to close before you present a solution or a price. Yes, and we're not telling people on this podcast. No, we're we not. They can go buy the book. Sales. But imagine, yeah, yeah. And Matt, what would happen to your closing average if you only agreed to present the people that agreed to buy from you first before you presented? <laughs> would your closing average go up? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. That's the goal. Uh, I'm going hunting. I love you. Thank you. I'm going you. hunting. Uh, you're the man. Appreciate you. And this will be out soon enough. All right, family. There he is, the founder, creator, and owner of the trademark of the sales funnel, Ray Leon. All right, family. Till next time. Happy selling.